Welcome to Everything I Hate About Me, a podcast in which I air my dirty laundry in hopes of becoming a better human. Today's episode is a form of apology to my baby brother. You see, when I was a teenager, I thought we could straighten a gay person. It wasn't my idea, and yet I can't really place where the idea came from. I don't recall anyone in my home or at church or at school speaking about conversion therapy. My parents never discussed ways we could help my brother not be gay. In fact, it was I who one night suggested to my mother that they, my parents, were not doing enough to fix my brother. I still feel immense shame about that, so this must also be an apology to my parents. One would be forgiven for assuming that my parents were to blame for teaching me to believe that we could change my younger brother. They were, and continue to be, conservative Christian people. The sworn enemy of the LGBTQ+. Perhaps my brother would tell a different story about how he perceived his upbringing, yet I don't recall a single time in which my parents attempted to turn my brother into someone he is not. My ideas that I could help my brother to become more masculine were short-lived, spanning only a year, maybe two tops. My brother was changing not becoming more masculine in accordance to my definition at the time, just becoming more himself. I was changing too. I wouldn't have been able to describe the ways in which I was changing, but the essence of my change was skepticism. I was learning how to think, something I'm still learning today. This type of thinking is a ponderous one, a a rational type of thinking that tests the tensile strength of ideas. This type of thinking is also non-conforming, recognizing societal and social myths and attempting to let go of the bonds of groupthink. Please don't mistake this for isolationism, but a return to the idea I've mentioned before to be as Shakespeare's Hamlet, allowing all perspectives to be at home with me. This is the opposite of isolationism. It's an invitation for ideas from every discipline to colonize me, whilst slowly putting every idea under the lens of a rational skeptic. I want to believe that this is the discipline of being a human, a discipline I lacked in my youth when the world I perceived was still binary. I want to share just a few thoughts on magic and masculinity, not because I think these are all there is to say on the topic, but because I'm trying to keep these episodes brief. But first, a word from our sponsor. Are you perpetually late for work? 
Is your boss haranguing you about your punctuality and questionable work ethic? Are you tired of co-workers making jokes about you rushing into the office disheveled and exasperated from trying to arrive on time? Well, before you set your alarm clock to wake up earlier like a responsible human, try blonde hair dye. With blonde hair, your boss and co-workers won't care about the time you arrive or your productivity. They'll just be glad that you're there, strutting your way to Jeff, who has your coffee waiting, and then sashaying your way to Stuart to remind him to do all of that pesky work that you just don't have time for. That's blonde hair dye. Why be like everyone else? when you could be blonde. I've talked a lot recently about letting go of binary thought, but I've mostly spoken about it in a conceptual context. And today I want to put this into real practice. It's not that difficult. We do it all the time in such common expressions as it's not if you win or lose, but how you play the game. There are a lot of bad coaches and sports programs and businesses that only care about winning or losing. You see this in our politics all of the time. We even see it throughout the history of religion. Jesus might have been one of religion's ultimate examples of it's how you play the game, but millions of his followers over the last 2,000 years seem to only care about winning. When someone decides to leave their church, the rest of their congregation will say they lost a member. This seems very selfish and ignores what that individual might have gained by choosing another path for their life, another of the infinite options available. Jesus taught us how to be a good neighbor via the story of the Samaritan who comes to the aid of a Jew. Jews and Samaritans were enemies, rivals who often despised one another, and yet, while only teaching Jews, Jesus makes the Samaritan of his story the good guy. Jesus understood that humanity is far more complex than us versus them. It's not if you're Jewish or Samaritan, it's how you play the game. About six years ago, sleight-of-hand magician Kyle Eschen did a TEDx presentation on cognitive blind spots. To demonstrate, he told about an experiment where subjects were asked to watch a basketball game and count how many times the ball was passed from one player to another. During the game, a person dressed as a gorilla walked into the screen and beat its chest and then walked off-screen. About half of the test subjects were so concentrated on counting the passes in the game that they did not even notice the gorilla. This is so often the problem with eyewitness accounts. It is perhaps an example of not seeing the forest for the trees. To further elaborate his point, Eshin did the old balls and cups routine, making the red foam balls seemingly disappear and reappear in either hand and under the cups. 
This was all amusing, but then Eschen levied the coup de grace, informing the audience that the trick wasn't about the balls at all, as he lifted his two cups to reveal not one, not two, but three whole limes that had not been seen at any other moment during his presentation. We were so fixated on following those red foam balls that we failed to see three whole fruits impossibly placed under the cups. To prove to everyone what a mature adult I have become, I am not going to make a joke about balls, fruit, and my gay brother. What can I say? I'm a classy guy. One of the most common mistakes, and it is surely one that I made over and over throughout my early life, is equating a gay man with a lack of masculinity, focusing on perhaps the more classically effeminate qualities while ignoring what masculinity actually is. We do this because our modern Western idea of the masculine is usually immature to an extreme. Hollywood movies are a great example of this. Think of Bruce Willis's character John McClane in Die Hard. John is incapable of dealing with his emotions and feels that the success of his wife somehow emasculates him. This leads to their split, which is physically and metaphorically demonstrated by John and his wife now living on opposite sides of the country. John hates himself and continually chastises himself because of his fear of death and lack of heroism early on in the film. John projects this self-loathing onto his wife, convincing himself that it's her fault that they are split up. It's classic feelings of rejection as experienced by the immature, toxic masculine. Now think of Arnold Schwarzenegger in Kindergarten Cop. Is there a more masculine stereotype than Arnold? Go back and watch the first 30 minutes of the movie Predator and try to tell me anyone has ever been more hyper-masculine than Arnold. His character in Kindergarten Cop also named John because Hollywood often lacks any imagination whatsoever, starts out the same way, and the comedy is in how uncomfortable John's immature masculine is with teaching and handling children in the first half of the movie. But like most great characters, John matures. His masculinity embraces nurturing, creativity, praising others, moving from aggressor to protector, from anger and frustration to love and long-suffering. The immature masculine thinks those attributes are inherently feminine, imagining strength to be an unhealthy type of stone-like stoicism. The healthy masculine does not draw definitive lines between their attributes and the inferred attributes of the feminine. The healthy masculine is just as comfortable being a stay-at-home father as he is being the sole breadwinner. The healthy masculine does not blame others for their failures. The healthy masculine does not accuse others of misconduct if they lose. The healthy masculine enjoys the success of others, even their rivals. The healthy masculine does not hesitate to embrace another man and say, I love you. The healthy masculine recognizes goodness even in their enemies. 
The healthy, mature masculine is a nurturer, not a conqueror. The healthy masculine understands that they are on a journey to understand themselves and their own life, embracing metaphor to understand love, and allows all others the same liberty no matter their nationality, sexual anatomy, gender identity, or sexual orientation. So the healthy masculine has nothing to do with being straight or gay, male or female, or any other binary way of viewing humanity. We all have cognitive blind spots concentrating so hard on one thing that we miss an infinite universe around us. When I was younger, one of my blind spots was thinking that I knew what masculinity is. Tough, straight, heroic, emotionless, a passionless terminator unstoppable in my quest for greatness, even though I have never been that version of masculine in my entire life, not even close. Another blind spot was thinking that I loved my brother and others despite the fact that they were gay. I loved them anyway. I thought this made me so good. I was so damned righteous. Wouldn't Jesus be so proud of me? Perhaps ironically, when we consider the state of toxic masculinity presented by certain persons claiming specific political and religious persuasions, the Proud Boys, the Nick Fuenteses, the Marjorie Taylor Greens running around seeking power and dominion through force, a rejection of wisdom, and the worship of guns, I learned the healthy masculine from my conservative, Christian, Republican parents. My parents have always loved and supported my little brother and all of their children and grandchildren to be and become exactly who they are. It was my parents who made it possible for my brother's then fiance to come to America so they could be married and then stay in my parents' house for as long as they needed. My parents have welcomed my brother's husband into the family just as they have any other of mine or my siblings' spouses. My parents have done this while paradoxically believing that gay people cannot return to live in the presence of their Heavenly Father. I have told my parents to their faces, if that is true, then my parents are better parents than the God they worship. Growing up, my parents always taught me about the mature masculine, even though that phrase was never uttered in our family. My mother taught me how to change diapers. My father taught me how to say I'm sorry. My mother and father taught me to cook and clean. My mother taught me to be curious. My father taught me it's okay to cry when you tell your family that you love them. When my parents took us across the United States, stopping at hundreds of historical sites and museums along the way, they taught me to be adventurous and what education really is. None of these things are restricted to binary definitions of male and female, masculine and feminine. It is only 
our cognitive blind spots that perpetuate lies such as men are from Mars and women are from Venus. When we do away with such nonsense and begin exploring our healthy, mature masculinity and femininity, embracing all of it, striving to become the best humans we can be, we unlock vast amounts of potential within ourselves that would otherwise be wasted, leaving us feeling frustrated and misunderstood. Of course we feel misunderstood when we don't understand our own selves. The most important thing that I have learned from this exploration and opening up of myself over the years is exactly what my mother taught me when she turned on Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood for me every weekday. That I don't love my little brother or anyone else despite of who they are, but because of who they are. A lot of people pay lip service to this, but then attempt to make laws restricting people from loving whomever they want to love, or being and becoming who they feel they are and want to become, creating a god who claims to love all of his children, but rejects millions upon millions of them just for being themselves. Those who only pay lip service are liars. They lie to others and themselves. I should know. As a young man, I was one of them. I thought we could make the world a better place by molding others into who we thought they should be. Not understanding that the greatest expression of love is giving all people, including our own selves, the grace and freedom to be and become exactly who we are and who we want to be.